Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Eloquent Profanity, Diving for Dimes, Bed Bugs, and Milk Toasted Love. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. So hello, everybody. This is, uh, this is Vinyl Tap, and I am your one of your hosts, Tony Slagle. We're broadcasting live from the Vinegaroon Saloon. I'd like to say hi to my co-host, Doug Cooper. Hello, everybody. And, of course, our humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hello, everyone in TV land. And this uh, is uh, not TV, J.M. <laughs> and, again, we're all uh, lucky to be in the same place doing this live again. Uh, we took a, a brief sabbatical and did it remotely last week, but we're now back in the same room staring at each other. It's lovely. Um, tonight... Before we go any further, Tony, it's very important for us to let everybody know, especially the ones that live in Austin, that we will be having a trivia night at the best neighborhood bar in Austin, Little Woodrose on Burnett Road. We will be having a trivia night there on uh, July. July 13th, and we hope everyone will come out and uh, participate and tell us hello, and then they'll give you an opportunity to tell Tony and JM all the times you've agreed, disagreed with them. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have more details about time and stuff uh, on all of our social media platforms uh, and, and future episodes. Hopefully. Yeah, but consider flying in if you're uh, from, <laughs> uh, Especially if you're in uh, Cliche, France. We'd right. love we'd, to see oh, you. man, well, we'd love to meet you. Um, so um, tonight we're talking about the 1973 album by Little Feet, Dixie Chicken. It was their third album. And uh, uh, the one that sort of got their sound solidified. Uh, I would like to ask Doug. This is Doug's pick. Doug, why did you pick this album? I had a Little Feet bumper sticker on my car during most of high school. And... <laughs> Almost nobody knew what Little Feet was, and we're talking about Feet, F-E-A-T. Um, I think that Little Feet is probably, of all the bands we've covered, they've probably sold the fewest records. And I don't mean by just a little bit. I mean, I think they have sold the fewest <laughs> by a lot. And I think they're a heavily underappreciated band, except from musicians and critics. 
I also think that uh, Lowell George, who was not with us for very long, uh, was a was an exceptional songwriter. And Little Feet was a, some music that I was unfamiliar with, and and pushed me out of the center of the rock and roll pop world. And I, I've always appreciated that uh, very much. But one of my favorite bands in high school, and I never stopped loving them. And uh, there's there's one thing that we need to be clear about. We're talking about the Lowell George Little Feet. Um, I I personally did not follow them when they reformed after his death. Uh, when actually a majority of their albums came up after his death, and their highest selling single came out after his death. And uh, we won't be talking about that tonight because I don't think anybody here knows anything about that. <laughs> well, and since you mentioned it, uh, F-E-A-T, we all know why it's spelled that way, right? Yeah, it was a uh, uh, homage to the Beatles. They And the way they got their name was, um, it was it the... It was the mothers of inventions drummer said that you've got some really little feet yeah. to Lowell Joy. To Lowell George. George has a size nine, I think. Or yeah. had a size nine. Yeah, and size he was not a small eight. man by any stretch of the imagination. But he had little feet. <laughs> so he they named the band Little Feet and in fealty to the uh Beatles they changed the, <laughs> can, the spelling. Can you be, uh, I listened to um Snoop Doggy Dog and I'm unfamiliar with the Beatles. What are, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, it's the band Jam thinks destroyed rock and roll. So, <laughs> so the Beatles changed the spelling of Beatles to reflect beat, as in the Beatniks. Yes. Well, so, no, not just the Beatniks, but the, the Beat Generation, beat, as in beat. Okay, ri- I didn't hear that beat. part. Yeah. Yes. I was uh-huh. on the biography I read, which was the decisive one, only mentioned. Uh, that they were, uh, and and then you know what you know what uh, Jack Kerouac said where he got the name beet, the the red vegetable. He got it from beatific. Ah, ah, a blessing. Nice. I got you. Did not. I think um, he made that up after the fact, however. And then, and then just brief aside, that inspired a whole slew of bands to to Re- change. change so their, the yeah. monkeys were with two e's. The birds had a y. Um, Led know, Zeppelin had an. No, drop the a yeah so they all just sort of and this and little feet was another one of those bands that pay homage yeah. to the jonathan Rowe dropped the whole second half of the whole half of his name <laughs> that's right <laughs> became jm that's yeah. right. i dropped seven letters well so, actually macrelis is what how many letters about himself always yeah. about himself so jm uh you're usually our go-to musical guy in terms of uh the players on this stuff what can you tell us about uh about the lineup a little feet um and then whatever i don't know if there's anything you want to talk about the previous lineup i've got a little bit of history about that but you can talk about it to the extent you want to but what about the lineup on this particular album and why was it important well okay so this is uh kind of the classic lineup of little feet that kind of uh they were around until i think 79 even when little george was kind of petering off in his um uh his influence over the band. Yeah, he was he was becoming disaffected with the band. But uh, this is also the first album where they brought in a second guitarist. 
uh, his name's Paul Barra. And uh, they where did they where did they find him? They found him, and he was Lowell Georgia's a, high school buddy. And Hollywood High or something. Yeah, like Hollywood that. High or something. <laughs> yeah, and so he just uh, said, hey, come in and play with us. And then they found a guy named Sam Clayton, who I think was one of the probably one of the biggest difference makers in this band because he mm-hmm. he was just brought in as a percussionist, and he was a fantastic percussionist. And he, he brought, I think he kind of defined the little feet sound as much as little George's uh, slide guitar plan. And this is also the first album by a guy where the bass player was uh, Kenny Gradney. And he wound up, I think he played with the band throughout the rest of their existence. He may be the only, he and Bill Payne may be the only um, original members from that lineup that are still in the band today. Uh, Roy Estrada, who is um, in that band left to uh, play with Captain Beefheart His magic band. And his magic band, the Captain Beefheart magic band. They were magic, too. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, a couple of things to notice. These guys were not just... They were exceptional musicians, and they got a lot of side gig work. And Lil' George started off in... Um, there's rumors that he was... And I've only read this once, and I haven't been able to con- to confirm it, but... Little George was actually a talented flautist, and he was. There's rumors that he actually played in Frank Sinatra's band as a teenager, uh, playing flute. But uh, he started playing guitar, I think, at age 12. His, his brother gave him a guitar, and he just took to it, and he became a, an excellent slide guitar player. And he played with Frank Zappa for a while. And if you ever just want to know who's who of guitarists or just incredible musicians, just look at who Frank Zappa has mentored. Um, there's Steve Vai, there's Adrian Ballou, uh, Lil George, uh, George Duke. It's the name kind of goes, the, the uh, list goes on. So these guys are also just very talented musicians and very, they're sought after sidemen and they've played with Jackson Brown. They've played with Linda Ronstadt. They've played with a lot of good guys. So, they're as talented as any session musicians, and frequently yeah. they were session musicians. Well, yeah. and, and I think the important thing to note about this particular lineup is they change it changes the sound of this band pretty remarkably. Um, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more, but these guys, when these three guys joined the band and Estrada left, the band took on a, a sound, as Jam said, the cla- kind of the classic Little Feet sound yeah. from that point going forward. And this is the classic Little Feet sound, meaning the Lil' George is in charge, writing almost everything, singing almost everything, yeah. Yeah. and producing. So yeah. this is gonna this is gonna fall away as they work their way towards um nineteen eighty. Yeah. And then he's he's fading and then he's gone. Yeah. And uh you know, 
if you're a little feet snob, you like the little George stuff and you don't like the so, other stuff, but I don't think it's that simple. These other guys, uh, you know, they wrote great songs too. So that, you know, that happens a lot though, Doug. Um, I, I, I fall prey to that. And I think probably all three of us do to a certain extent where we pick sides. We kind of demarcate where we're not going to go anymore. And, and, and we forget how unimportant our opinion is to anyone else in the world on that. We do. Particularly but, the band. But but it's interesting, just to, uh, real quick, to talk about something, we an episode we did in the past with Wilco and Sunvolt. I did that with, with Uncle Tupelo. When Uncle Tupelo split up, I picked the Sunvolt side, the JFR side, and and it's and that colors everything I listen to from Wilco after that. It's probably not fair, but it does. I think we all fall into that. So yeah, sure. Um, but it is interesting that they had they had significantly better success after Old George died and left the band. Yeah, and he left the band kind of in disgust. He thought that they were going in a direction that he just did not like. But a part of it was, yeah, he was not the most sober guy in the world. He was he had his own little his own demons, and Bill Payne was kind of taking over the group. Um, Bill Payne is the keyboardist, by the way. And uh, you talk about a guy that if you start looking at your records, you're going to find Bill Payne on a bunch yeah. of yeah, a lot of Jackson Brown albums and uh, Bonnie Raitt album. He's 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 done a lot of session work. So when you're talking about Old George and you talk about how talented it is, I mean the other things he 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 not only played the guitar, the the bland, banjo, the clarinet, the flute, as you said. Um, he uh, rumored, and this is the thing I think we need to sort of make clear is there's a lot of things about this band, the guys in this, the guys in this band and Lil George in particular that are legend and not necessarily grounded in fact, but they're, they're part of the story. So it makes it interesting to talk about, and it could and, be. And a big part of this podcast is ignoring facts yes. and uh, <laughs> telling the good story yes yeah so um what so and one of those things is he supposedly learned to play um the sitar under ravi shankar i mean you know yeah so um and you felt dr sitar that, yeah uh little george also played the cowbell uh yes <laughs> well he got, his first instrument was the harmonica. Yeah. And so here's an interesting story. Um, this, this will go kind of go in, into the Zappa thing. Um, Zappa, Frank Zappa and Lil George met each other at a significantly younger age than they did when the whole mother's thing happened. Uh, they were on a TV show in, uh, when, uh, Lil George was, I think five, he was on a TV show with his brother playing harmonica, um, as a, as a duet. And uh, Zappa was on there. He was 11, and he was doing a puppet show. This was a, this was a talent contest. It's, it was called the Al Jarvis Talent Show. It was on KLAC-TV in L.A. And both of them lost to a tap dancer. But they had, were on the same bill when they were little, little bitty kids. And are we talking about that tap dancer now? No. 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 <laughs> Ladies but, and gentlemen... Tony's tidbits once so, again. So what's 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 really interesting about about this? So you know, it, it, we talked a bit about the people he knew in high school, um, but uh, his first band was a band called The Factory, and in The Factory was uh, um, this guy named Martin Keeby on bass who was instrumental in. I think he co-wrote several songs for Little Feet with him. Yeah, eventually um, he became a uh, even. 
after little George was kind of out of the picture, he helped write a lot of songs. Right. And then Mark, Martin Klein on guitar and Richie Hayward on drums. They were a pretty popular band in L.A. And uh, so much so, they did a little television work. They were on an episode of Gomer Pyle as a band in a bar. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh, I'm going to look that up. And yeah. then the best thing was they're on an episode of F Troop. <laughs> If you guys remember F Troop, it took place, uh, I think, post-Civil War. It was about an outpost someplace. Um, Anyway, they show up on the back of this wagon looking exactly like the Beatles, even though F Troop took place in the late 1800s. And the band was called the Bed Bugs. And, of course, everyone in F Troop couldn't stand the music they were playing. Uh, but they sing a very Beatlesque song. Uh, they're bar- I mean, it's all piped in. You can watch it. They're barely playing the instruments. But it's pretty mm. funny. Lil George, is, he's discussing the band with, uh, I forget who was the main guy in F Troop. But anyway, yeah. you should look it up on YouTube. It's pretty good. But um, And they released. Uh, they actually released a single called Smile. I don't know if you've got the time to go. Zappa produced a lot of um, a lot of stuff that the factory did. Yeah, he was instrumental. <laughs> he he took little George under his wing early on. Early on. <laughs> but here's what's here's what's interesting about that. So George leaves the factory and he becomes a vocalist for this garage band called the Standells of Dirty Water fame. I'm sure you guys know that. Uh, I mean, they had, they were past their prime at that point he wasn't with them for very long um the rest of the guys in the factory formed a group called the uh, fraternity of man and their most famous thing was they recorded a song called don't bogart me which was in easy right that joint my friend pass it over to me don't bogart that joint my friend Pass it over to me. Roll another one. There you yeah. Go. yeah. So uh, there's a and lot that of. Became a, a, a highlight on uh, Little Feet's album, uh, their live album, their remarkable, almost unmatched live album called Waiting for Columbus. Yeah. Um, and, and then. We don't support the idea that anyone was waiting for Columbus. I find that highly offensive. <laughs> oh, or, and we also don't support bogarting at all either. <laughs> share, 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 and share alike. Do not bogart. Yeah, that's. But yeah. Um, so then, uh, when the factory was going uh, going concerned, Roy Strada, who was the f- we've talked about briefly, the founding basis for Little Feet, started a band called the Soul Giants, and their claim to fame was they recruited Zappa. Zappa as a guitarist. He was brought in to this already existing band, the Soul Giants. Um, and they that was the band that eventually mutated into the Mothers, the Mothers of Invention. Right. And then, Which is necessity. Yes, it is. And then Lil George left the Standells and became a member of the Mothers. Um, and, uh, and, and so Zappa, as we talked about, played a pretty interesting role in the formation of Little Feet. Um, 
George, so George was hired to replace Ray Collins, who you know been with the Soul Giants, um, and uh, but he was he wasn't with the Mothers for very long. He le- he left in 1969. Well, he was fired by Zappa, as the story goes. And there's various versions of that story. My favorite one is he was fired for playing a solo on stage for 15 minute guitar solo. Not and he wasn't plugged into his amp, which I think is a fantastic story. But it's more likely the real story is what Lil George used to tell, which was that he wrote this song called Willin'. And if you give me weed, white sand, wine, and you show me a was uh, about drug use. Zappa was very, contrary to what a lot of people who don't know much about Zappa uh, he think. Broke he broke no uh, buffoonery, especially drug use. Oh, he was straight-laced. Yeah. Zappa was very straight-laced. And so uh, that's more likely why he left. But there's also this underlying thing in all of these stories about the fact that Zappa likely thought that George was way too talented to stay in the Mothers anyway. And I think that bears itself out because he helped them get Little Feet get their get their uh, deal with Warner with Brothers, Mark, yeah. which they were with Warner Brothers. I don't know if they, I guess, still are if they're still recording, but they were with Warner and, uh, Brothers that, forever. They, they left uh, in the late eighties. Okay, when finally. Left. One of the points about that is nobody cares where they are now. <clears throat> um, but it, but it is interesting that Zappa was you know he fires the guy and then is instrumental in getting him a record deal. Yeah, um, and uh, so. In 69, when Little Feet became Little Feet, it was Lowell George, along with Richie Hayward, who was the drummer from the factory, and then Roy Estrada, who was in The Mothers, and then uh, Payne on keys, who uh, was interesting about him is he was trying he was trying to get on with The Mothers, and Zappa had too many keyboardists already. And yeah, told like him to, George Duke was he's like, no slouch. I got someone you can go talk to and send him over to <laughs> Little Feet. Uh-huh. Um, he tells this great story, if I could take a brief side, about the first time he, uh, he met Lowell George. Um, he was asked to come by his house, Lowell George's house, which wasn't very far from where the... Um, family manson family lived and uh and he shows up and uh he says lowell george was not there but this beautiful blonde let him in and she said make yourself at home he'll be back in four hours (laughs) so he started looking at his record collection of books and found all this stuff that he just knew he was going to like this guy even though he according to him he had this nasty looking samurai sword on the wall and he and and pain was just a hick from waco which by the way Makes us Makes experts. Us experts. Yeah. That's right. Waco is 100 miles up the road, exactly. Yes. So, yeah. once again, uh, those of you who are wondering, who are these guys that think they know everything? That's the answer. <laughs> I want to say a few things before we get too far away. One is about the song Willing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably Little Feet's best-known song. Not necessarily because of Little Feet, but because so many people have covered it. And in my mind, Willing has always occupied roughly the same territory that the weight by the band occupies. That's interesting.
if if a bunch of guitars get out at a campfire, someone's going to sing the weight, and someone's going to sing Waylon, and they're uh, they're very similar, and they've well, both been covered by quite a few people. Well, and uh, that song was so important to Little Feet as it was on their debut and their second album, and the live <laughs> album, uh, and the the live the version on the live album is Little Feet's best version of yeah. the song. Uh, and I'm I'm going to get really boring tonight talking about Waiting for Columbus is an amazing album. If you don't have it, you're a bad person. Yeah, it's it's regarded as one of the best live albums ever made, and there's not a lot of good live albums. Let's just let's just face you, it. You mean it's better than Frampton Comes Alive? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sell more, but Frampton cheated. He uh, he put in studio bits later. Um, you guys know what Little Feet was called before Little Feet? I don't. They were they performed for a little while as Country Zeke and the Freaks. <laughs> and when I read that, one guy said, "Thank God, Lil George had little feet." <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they got together. They put out two albums as a four piece. Um, I don't want to get in too too much into this, but I actually prefer those two albums to the one we're talking about tonight. Um, I might prefer the second album. I think the second album is a fantastic album, and I, I, yeah, it's the, the the first album is rough, rough, rough. Yeah, it and was, it sounds like a demo or something, but yeah. the songs are amazing. Yeah. and I don't care that it sounds like a demo. It, uh, I love, I love it. So the first two, the first album was produced by Russ Tittleman, who we've talked about before. He was the guy who's. So there were two. Like I've mentioned before during the Randy Newman podcast, there were two guys that were royalty uh, at uh, Warner Brothers Records. One of them was Russ Tittleman, who produced the first album. The second one was Ted Templeton, which I think is a superior album. And he also went on to produce Van Morrison and eventually uh, Van Halen. But Russ Tittleman also went on to produce uh, Randy Newman and Ricky Lee Jones. So there, there's this Warner Brothers. There was something about Warner Brothers records in the 1970s that they just they had a something going on. They they were just hitting everything out of the park. They they also seem remarkably patient with their artists. Yeah. Yep. You yep. know, in a way that record companies usually aren't mm-hmm. because these these the first two Little Feet albums did not sell. They, they were critical critical yeah. successes, but they didn't sell. This one out of the gate that we're talking about Dixie Chicken did not sell either. Um but the the label stuck with them. I'm going to say something that I might have mentioned before, but Waiting for Columbus was actually the one that really <laughs> sold, finally. And uh, if you don't have that album, you probably should get it. Well, you can tell we're not allowed to do live albums on this podcast. <laughs> well, we could, but... Um, no, it, I mean... It so, violates what that angry man says at the beginning of the does. show in the introduction. Yes, it does. Yeah. But, um, so, anyway, as we talked earlier, Roy Strada leaves, and these three other guys join the band, um, and change the sound i i want to ask you guys something okay first of all um i think it's fair for me to come clean and say uh that when we started when 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 doug mentioned he wanted to do this album i immediately went groaned but not to be fair i hadn't listened to it much yet because the little feed i know uh 
is not my cup of tea. And even listen to this album, it's not my cup of tea. It, it could this couldn't be further away from something that I would choose to listen to. But that being said, I'm fascinated by this time period in rock, in particular Southern California, because yeah. these people are fascinated with the South in a way that obviously would not be popular today. Yeah. But uh, do you guys Just have ask a, Randy Newman? Yeah, well, they well, do, actually do have, they covered uh, an Alan Toussaint song, which we'll get to later. But um, yeah, that's you can't get much more southern well, than than well, that. There's something else about that LA deal is all these guys were in the the wake of the birds and that uh, that movement where uh, folk was becoming rock. That whole California scene was there, and when you look at the, it's like this incestuous family. When you look at Little Feet, because you got the Eagles, you got Lynn Rossett, you got Bonnie Raitt, you got that whole crowd that was around uh, Asylum Records and all of that, the Southern California thing, all over that, and um, but you got Jackson Brown writing. Right er, when Lowell George died, everybody lined up to write a song about him. I think even Chris Cross, the horrible person who is from Austin, Texas, uh, wrote uh, "Fly Like the Wind" about uh, Lowell George. Well, and then you've got the bands like The Dead from from San Francisco, who also at this point in their history were really deep deep diving into country rock stuff. Yep. It's just interesting that that was such a this fascination with the South by bands that had nothing. Really, I did read one of the guys in Little Feet said, "Well, we're all from Southern California. That's where that comes from," <laughs> which I thought was kind of clever. But it, it is interesting that I mean, because Little Feet, I think to the the people who don't know them, and I would be one of them as well as you guys do would classify them as a southern rock band yep. even though they're vastly and I, i'll admit having done research and listen to this is they're vastly more than that i think the thing that makes this band stand out from a lot of those other bands is this this tie to zappa and the mothers they these guys are incredible musicians yeah. and 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 the little feet is their albums aren't aren't just eclectic, but the songs are eclectic. They've got weird time signatures, and they do all this stuff, and, and not in a way that seems unnatural or wow, like right, like yeah, like a wow prog band. Right. But when you listen to it, you're like, wait a minute, that's a weird, that's a weird. Well, you know, when you listen to them, you aren't quite. Is this Little Feet or is this? Um, they're not yeah. even. You're, yeah. you're not close to somebody else, which uh, is. When when people ask me why did you pick that album, uh, one of my answers is always where did this come from? This is this yeah. is well, so I, and 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 you're absolutely right about this. Uh, this kind of came because it's it's weird from from my point of view of being an outsider looking in, which I'll, I think that's kind of what I am compared to the you two guys. It's weird to think of the DNA of this band being attached to the Mothers of Invention. And then coming up with this, it's like where this is so out of left well, field. It seems. I mean, one of the things that I think you could say about this band is they easily could have been a jam band. Like you look well, at Bill Payne and you look at Lil George, and then you look at the length of these songs. And I think uh, well, they did do that. <laughs> yeah, so jam. I don't. Do I don't think. I think it's fair to say they are a jam band. <laughs> yeah. 
they are. I, I saw them live after Lil George uh, died, which is yeah, I've seen them. It's a very a sad deal, but you get you do get a very long uh, jam session. Let's just say that the guy, same people that listen to Fish, don't have a problem with Little Feet. It's true. I mean, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Now. Um, um, <laughs> All right, so this is let's dive into Dixie Chicken. Uh, I'll say this it's a fantastic song, it is a Get Up and Boogie song. I have tried to play this song in bands before, and it is deceptively difficult. It is... The the piano parts don't make any sense. The bass parts are really um, hard. Even It starts off with the, the bass and the drums. and uh, But it is a great song. It's just a fun, fun song. And I... If you think of Little Feet, this is probably the song that you think of first. This song is all the things that JM said. It's one of the more popular songs. It's one that if you play it, people have heard before and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they may have heard Little Feet sing it or they may have heard somebody else sing it. And if you look at it on paper, it's technically a well-written song. Everything's good about it. And it happens to be the one that on this album I'm the most likely to fast forward through. <laughs> and I, a little bit of it is this isn't fair, but to me, I put in my personal categories, it goes into the novelty song category. Even though that's not fair, it's, it, it's a little story and it's very funny. It's, it's very funny. cute. It's a funny but song. It doesn't stay that way. And the surprise doesn't last, and it may be a little too repetitive to me, but um, I, I, this is me saying it's a very good song, and I don't like it very much. So I will say this, and I'm not going to do what I did for the ELO episode. <laughs> I, I really do promise that. Uh, I don't like this song. Uh, I don't like a lot of the songs on this album, so what I'm going to do is focus on the things that I do like <laughs> now that that's out there and said, and I will talk about the songs and, uh, that I do like as well. This is not my cup of tea. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, I was When I was listening to this at one point, my older daughter came in and said, what are you listening to? And I told her, she goes, this sounds nothing like what you would like. And I said, it's not. It's really not. Yeah. That, that uh, is not a knock on this band because I find... The story about this band and the guys playing it, absolutely compelling. Uh, but um, I think the song's funny, maybe because I don't know it as well as you. Uh, that didn't wear thin on me. I, I love the idea of this guy, you know, belling up to the bar to tell a sad story, and all of a sudden everyone else in the bar has the exact same sad story. About I think the same girl. About the same woman. It's I, very clever. Yeah. Um, but, I just love the song. I think it's you, a fantastic song, and lyrically and musically, I, I, it's, if, if there's ever a song that deserved to be a hit over Margaritaville, this. this so well, that's well, funny. You're getting on Tony's turf with the <laughs> stuff. You so don't, what? Don't what, what is funny about this is this. I think is right out of the gate tells you this band is different than the one that recorded the last oh, two albums. Is. 
Yeah. This is much more New Orleans funky influence. Oh, it's got, so it's got the same. It's like when I was telling you, the the six piece band got expanded. You you hear the drums and you hear the percussion guy coming yeah. in. Yeah, um, no, it's, it, it's it is Tony's exactly right. If you needed uh, some information about what happened to Little Feet since selling shoes, this is it. Yeah, it's um, right out of the it's gate. It's perfectly clear. It's the it's as southern as you can get. There's a couple of uh, items. Um, I am a member of a Facebook group about Little Feet, and <laughs> I asked for input about this album, and immediately controversy broke out about the fact that there is no Commodore Hotel in uh, Memphis. Okay. And others said, there is, there is, there ain't, there ain't. This is there? cab driver told me there was. There is. There is a Commodore Hotel. Well, the final word was, no, there's not, and there never was. The Commodore Hotel was maybe Nashville one? or something. What's the one that has the ducks? That's not the Commodore I don't know. Oh, you, that's a Peabody. That's, that's the Peabody. You lived there. Jane. That's the Peabody that's Hotel. Peabody. One know, of the uh, reasons we asked you to join us on this podcast is because you yes, lived in Commodore, Memphis. Yes, the Commodore Hotel would be Nashville. Because is there a Giggle Snort Hotel? Huh? Nothing. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, well, that so what? Who cares? Well, a lot of people did. I know, on that, which is on that Facebook thr- page. That tells you all you need to know about Little Feet fans, if you ask <laughs> oh, me. Oh, I wonder if I said something wrong on the Rush page, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's my point. And I think I even said that during that podcast, that my, my big problem with Rush fans is they're humorless about yeah. the band. Well, that, that, this is, that is a good opportunity to talk about the fact that uh, Little Feet sells very few records, and it's not well known, but its fans oh, are they're crazy. Nuts. Yeah, they are rapid. crazy loyal. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's another item that we need to talk about, and chicken. Why is this guy falling for a girl who's calling him a chicken? chicken? <laughs> he should be a rooster. Um, I don't. I've ne- that's always it's bothered only because, me because uh, the bride, the guy who wrote the lyrics, drove by a restaurant called the Dixie Chicken. And he okay, thought it but worked. change. I mean, well, you know, I don't. Again, this is one of those uh, apocryphal stories that I don't know is true or not. But I read someplace they promoted the single by going to various um, uh, radio stations around town uh, <laughs> with Lil George dressed in a chicken suit. Handing out boxes of chicken that said "finger picking good" on it, with uh, with the the lady from the album cover on the chicken box. Now I don't know if that's true. I, I or cannot not. believe that Lil George would put up with that. I mean, there's so much he won't put up with. Like somebody said that well, he wasn't you play bottleneck guitar and he pitched a fit because he doesn't use a bottleneck right. and well, he uses. Well, so let's talk about that real quick because I don't think JM talked about. What he used another failure? Did he switch to something about himself? Probably. So what does what? This is fascinating to me that this guy played slide guitar and what he played it with. The the ratchet. Yeah, but it's a particular ratchet. Or is it the one for a spark plug? It's a Sears and Roebuck eleven sixteenth spark plug socket <laughs> that was given to him by a friend. I mean that's incredible. Well, it, you tell him he's a bottleneck player and it's going to be fisticuffs. You're going to Fist City with Lil George yeah. if you tell him it's a bottleneck. So, you know yeah. that's not a light gauge either. either. No, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing the chicken story is not true, but I had to tell it because it was so out there. You know, uh, one more thing about Dixie Chicken that I need to complain about. Yeah, uh, the most popular and most famous bar at Texas A&M University at College Station is. 
The Dixie um, Chicken. The Dixie Chicken. Uh, we're in Austin, University yes. of Texas, and uh, we're not allowed not to have contempt for all things Aggies. So um, there you go. Does that make us experts? Now they're in the, yeah, they're in the having, southeast continent. We're, we're experts so many times. So over. Uh, also, I another apocryphal story I read was that the Dixie Chicks were named after this album as well. And then they got they got rid of Dixie because they're so PC they can't. They're just well, the chicks, right? They're the chicks now, yeah. <laughs> um, now we're gonna I think move to if not Doug's favorite song, one of his favorite songs on the album, Two Trains. Six, I found my love in 1967. I had a old level, and as my time went by, I was satisfied. Till I just do wish on to be So smooth, so cool, so funky, and his voice is so perfect on this album. Yeah, uh, on this song. Um, if if I hear this song once for the rest of the day, I'm gonna be saying, "In 1966, I found my love," and I'm gonna so, be trying to sound like Lil George for the rest of the day. Um, it, uh, you know, again, not this is not something I would seek out this song, but I agree with you. His vocals on this song are great, which is pretty interesting considering there's a lot of stuff going on on this song. There's a lot of stuff going oh, on. Oh, yeah, it's got that. And, and keyboards are all over yeah. the place on this song. But the thing is, there's a lot going on, but there's holes. Dude, there's holes in the music. Yep. So, and, do and you, guys get not, to play. Not being a big uh, expert on Little Feet, do people. Because the thing that struck me the most about listening to this album is how great this guy's voice is. Do people talk about that when they talk about Little Feet? I don't think so. They mostly his talk vo- about the rhythm section when you and get the to, slide guitar. When you get to... Um, he's got an amazing voice. He's got an amazing voice. And when you get to Fool Yourself, holy cow. And so yeah. I, it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing to me that people don't talk about that more because it's so soulful. And what he can do with it, and well, I know this talk- is the. I think this is the first album where, where that happened, you can like hear that. It. Um, you know, uh, the other ones sound like our last podcast compared to this one. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who haven't listened, we had a little bit of a sound glitch the last time. <laughs> D- Doug needed his peanuts, and uh, all hell broke loose. <laughs> well, the, the the crap started before I got peanuts, and I blame the producer for not prohibiting peanuts. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no Anyway, more. there's no peanuts tonight. So, or, or the um, frogs seem to can not I be. Ask, uh, can I ask you guys, I don't really know sir. what this song's about. Well, let me, let me say some things about this song and the rest of the album. As many of y'all know, this is a family value podcast, and uh, we are the focus on the family and all of those call us one of the best rock and roll podcasts that's out there. Uh, we will not be able to go into great detail about what some of these songs are about, but this this song seems to be based on some blues. Uh, you know how there's a vocabulary yes. of blues, yes, a jelly roll, and all that kind yeah. of stuff that we don't talk about. Blind this, company. blind that. Yeah, <laughs> that was last time. But the uh, this seems to be about confusion over um, one's primary physical companion. Oh, okay. I got you. 
I hope that if you're driving a carpool, that that was obscure enough uh, for your children. <laughs> but I find this song, not to use a word I've already used, but it's really the best word to describe this. I find this song so much more compelling than the first song, uh, even though it's not something I would seek out. Well, that funky I'll agree. groove I mean, it's... kicks in and uh, from the start, and then, again, this well, is vocals are so I think that so one of the fantastic. things I like about this album is it is... It's probably my second favorite song on the album. Love this song. Can't see. This is what happens when I listen to this album: is I rewind this one about five times before yeah. I can move on. Even though the next song, Tony, is fantastic. That's the one I rewound. That when when uh, are we yeah. ready to move on to Roll 'Em Easy? Yeah. Yes. kicked on the first time i was like what what it's yeah. kind of i had whiplash because this was a song i really dug from the get-go and yeah. uh, compared to the other two and while i could find something interesting in two trains uh that was you know compelling enough to listen to that i didn't find in dixie chicken roll them easy just hit me right where it hurts i mean it was i loved i love the vo- uh, the lyrics in it the slide guitar on it is in, just incredible well all it is is um, it's his voice an acoustic guitar and a slide well, there's a couple of songs on this album that are well, like has, that I, I believe he has a backup singer well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's doing harmony with uh, the cat from um three dog night whose name escapes me right now but there's a couple of songs on this album that are fairly sparse for a band that's considered to be so you know musically complex and this is the first one of those i yeah this song that that first line of whoa i'm just a vagabond yeah a drifter on the run the eloquent profanity it rolls right off my tongue and i've denied i've dined in palaces drunk wine with kings and queens but darling oh darling you're the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's great. That's a great line. And it covers debutantes in Houston, which, of course, Makes again, <laughs> well, we're experts. No, this is, uh, I could, and that's why this, this struck me when I started reading about this and people saying that this was reminiscent of their first two albums. I went back and listened to those and was like, yeah, they're right. This is much more in line with what. Little feet was before they kind of dove head headlong in the swamp. But his voice is fuller and smooth. No, everything much is more smooth. confident. Yeah. Much more confident. Yeah. Um, and, and and emotional. There's some real uh, emotional depth to this. Yeah. To uh, his, his vocals it, on this song. I think this is where I discovered that he is actually a really good vocalist. No, he's fantastic. Yeah, was 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 is on this album. Was. Is on this album. A maybe is still up there where they got the best vocalist that you can find anywhere. Well, he's probably slaying slight guitar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we ready to move on? Yep, we are. Okay, next song is On Your Way Down, which is a cover song by Alan Toussaint. Sunrise sunset. Since the beginning. Uh, Jan, what can you tell us about about Alan Toussaint? 
All right. Alan Toussaint was kind of a uh, fixture in the New Orleans area. He um, was a pianist, producer. Um, he also was kind of a uh, entrepreneur. He founded a couple of record labels. Uh, one was YO that was specifically trying to target um, band soul bands out of out of New Orleans and but if you ever I've saw him play uh, I guess two or three times and his piano playing is just amazing he, he he's just a one of those guys that just has this amazing left hand that, and, um, and he worked with bands like uh, Mylon Lefevre Dirty Dozen Brass Band uh, he worked with Elvis Costello on a couple of albums. Um, so he's kind of a, if you just wanted to get a New Orleans sound, he was kind of the guy that you wanted to have on your album. So and he, it seems pretty reasonable then with this shift in kind of tone of their music that they would have a, a cover of this guy's yeah, stuff on Yeah, I think that's exactly what they were trying to do with this. Yeah, this this again was a bit of a whiplash because when we got to when we got to the last song and I was kind of getting in the groove, then this came up and it, was, it just smacked me in the face with the, with how bluesy it was, and I was like, "Oh Lord, here we go, here we go again." <laughs> I love it. I love the way that Bill Payne starts off playing it. Uh, it's it's just really it, his. What is he? Can I ask you a question? Because I'm not a musician. Is yeah. it just an electric piano he's playing? What is that sound? That's no, a it's very. A, it's a. a clavichord with a uh, so there's two ways you can do a clavichord you can do it the famous way is do it with a wah-wah that's how the band did it Mm -hmm. but he just plays it straight and it's basically he's so then he plays a warlitzer piano after that it's got a distinct tone to it got a very distinct and and, and it fits this music very well yeah yeah uh i enjoy it um (laughs) it is uh the problem is, it's such a harsh slowdown after uh, two trains and Rollamizi. It just, it. I mean, Rollamizi is is slower, but it it moves. And this thing, um, bottom. It. How long is this song? This song's. Uh, it's the longest song on the album. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it kind of feels like that. It feels yeah, that I, way, I, and it has. It has the feel of a band that's interested in listening to itself do things. Yeah, um, I got that. But if you're into karma, this is your song. <laughs> All right. So next up, last song on the first side is "Kiss It o- Kiss It Off." Once oh say, fear is painful. You can't deny. Um, this is a, just real quick. This is another song I find pretty compelling. Uh, I love this song. I, it, it's more reminiscent of Sailing Shoes, I think. It, too. It's really kind of unusual. I mean, the keys are unusual, I think, in this song. They're kind of odd in, in a weird way. Oh, um, I got this. Yeah, the synthesizer. Yeah. Um, I, I'll i tell you what this song made me think of. Um, I wonder what this would have been like. And I know this is completely against what they were trying to do. But what this song would have been like. Had little George done it a cappella, 
without because it's very sparse to begin with. There's not yeah. a whole lot of instrumentation in it, and it's really kind of all about his vocals outside the little noodlings going on in the background. But in listening to it, I thought, boy, this song would be really powerful if it was just him. Yeah. You know, but it's not what they were about. No, but uh, uh, this is a little George song, by the way. He he wrote this one, and I've got the weirdest thing about this song probably that anybody's ever had i think about what if pink floyd did this song and i don't have trouble imagining them taking this song somewhere see that i could see that i mean the keyboards they're semi they've got this weird under kind of psychedelic undercurrent it has the it has the phrase and then there's a huge space to do things with and oh it's got those um the uh tablas that are playing behind it hey, I, I like the song i really don't know what to do with it but um every time i hear it i think i wish pink floyd would take a step well, at this when I, and when I, I don't say that about any other song that's funny when i when i was hearing it i was thinking i would love to just hear i would have loved to just hear low george sing it without anything else it's um, pretty close to that it is close to that and and the music's not distracting you can put yourself in that place but but you know, imagine seeing them live, where they just all the other guys go off the stage. It's just him sitting on a stool singing the song. It'd be pretty, pretty powerful. Anyway, yeah. okay, so we're flipping it over. Side two. Side two, and that means, or what do we call that? The left side now. Yes. Or is, that, is that what the first song? Side two. That means it's supposed to be a hit, and it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. So this song's written it's by still a good song. This song's written by Fred Tackett, who ended up. Ended up joining the band later, right when they reformed in '88. He became yeah, after, a permanent member. Um, he was kind of a side guy with them for a long time, and eventually, I, the time I saw him in '95, I guess he was predominantly he, he was a trumpet player, mandolin, mandolin. Yeah, but well, he was a guitar. He uh, he wrote he wrote other stuff. Co wrote other stuff for them, right? I mean, he was. Uh, yeah, was he sort of like what's the guy from the Dead who co-wrote all those songs? Uh, Robert, oh, yeah, Robert, Robert Hunter. Robert Hunter. <laughs> That's funny you said that because the same thing occurred to me. Yeah, because we were overlapping the. Oh yeah, and I thought this, uh, "Fool Yourself" is a wonderful, wonderful song. If you keep on singing the same old lines, you're gonna look around, baby, and find your friends out of time. Watch out, girl, the words you say that don't really fit. Yeah, just for yourself is a, like a, a medium pace, soft song, just expressing uh, concern about someone who's destroying herself. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is just because I'm not a musician that I'm automatically attracted to the vocalist of a band, but uh, his uh, Lil George's phrasing on this song is is remarkable, remarkable. It is. He, and he, it's, it's so acrobatic, and it's yeah, yeah it's um, it was it was a great surprise to me when I found out he did not write this song. I know because it did not. It does sounds not like sound something. Like it yeah. sounds like it's coming straight from the heart. Yeah, and this is my, another Lil George song. This is my second favorite song on the album. And, Me too. And, and uh, it's my second favorite song. Yeah. It's uh, and, and it it's, used to be my first, but um, <laughs> two trains just kept and, yeah. and getting and, my phone. And, and we know somebody who did a fair uh, like the cover version of this was a little bit more popular than the Little Feet. Was version, that uh, right? Linda Ross? Yeah. Let's see how many songs did she do on this? I album? thought it was Sticks. 
<laughs> Sticks. Oh yeah. I guess that's the only the only song on here she did. I was thinking Linda Ross that she did quite a lot of favors for Little Feet. She did um, Willin, which yeah. was inappropriate for her, but sounded great. It's on Heart Like a Wheel, which is a fantastic album. She did. Um, she did this one. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, uh, Fool Yourself. She did uh, Oh Atlanta. What did you say earlier about her, though? You had a great comment about Linda Ronstadt. Well, she's the queen of misinterpreting uh, songs. <laughs> um, for those of you who, like me, aren't aren't uh, don't know your little feet well, you should pull this. I know we don't we talk about the full album, but you should do yourself a favor and pull this song up and listen to it. It's really something else. Yeah. Second song on side two, "Walking All Night." This does not have Lil George singing lead on it. This is one of the few he doesn't sing. Reminds me of a poor man's Randy Newman singing on this song, if you well, ask me. you know what? This song is a weaker version of the song that comes after it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same topic, it but is. with nothing uh, clever uh yeah, I don't like the other one. I don't like. I don't find anything really great about this song. It's that's my least favorite on the it's, album. It's my least favorite on the album. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with y'all. Uh, this is a lot of what Little Feet becomes without yeah. Lil George. This um, great rhythm section with cool keyboard parts. Cool go key- but the songwriting isn't there anymore. <laughs> no, um, and the vocals are not. And the vocals are just boring. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, if you know, if they had asked, "Hey, Low, we wrote the song. We want you to sing it." It it would have made a big difference. It absolutely would. But it's been. still, why put it right next to the song that just kicks its butt? <laughs> I don't understand that part. Yeah, I don't either. So we, right. we probably ought to move to the song that kicks its butt. Fat man in the bathtub. So this is considered an essential little feet track. Yeah. Would you not it say that? It is an amazing um, I think song. I think going back to what JM said earlier about them not being a jam band, I think this flies in the face of that. This song uh, is very well, it could have been, but it's it's what Four minutes. No, and I know it's not seconds. long. But wait till listen, the, wait till waiting for Columbus. And but, it listen, listen, out. but listen to this song, and you can hear those elements of a oh, band yeah. that's oh, yeah. you know you get you get um, a big long organ solo. Oh yeah, coming up it's soon. really rhythmically and musically eclectic. It's one of the songs that, that when I was talking earlier about that, that's kind of all over the place um, in a really interesting way. Um, the lyrics are hilarious. This song reminds me of something that Zappa would have written yeah. because it's got that kind of comedic sexual yeah. innuendo going on in it, you know? And uh, once um, again, for uh, <laughs> for our parents out there, it is going to be extremely hard for us to talk about the meaning of anything in this song <laughs> because of our commitment to fam- family values. But 
this song is a clever version of the song that came before it, <laughs> which um, basically involves trying to work out contractual love, um, <laughs> which is uh, prohibited for all good Christian people. Um, I think it's prohibited regardless of whether you're a Christian or not well, <laughs> by I the mean, law. Yeah, it went law. some law, but uh, you get in the right town, it's not prohibited, <laughs> and uh, they look the other way. Um, the uh, the album's called a Little uh, called Dixie Chicken, not Chicken Shack. Yeah, it, it could be called the uh, oh, what? Yeah, what right. the hell is it down there in Lagrange? Uh, chicken Ranch. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah. Chicken Ranch, not Chicken Fair Shack. Right. Anyway. Chicken Ranch. Um, we hunt, we find it highly offensive, even though it's very clever, very funny, <laughs> so the, extremely well done song. Uh, this is this is one of those songs where you can see the DNA of this band. You can mm-hmm. see that all these guys were hanging around at this, doing the same kind of weird, bizarre stuff, influenced by the same people. Yeah, but you know, and, and, and the songs themselves aren't that complicated. It's just the way that they're executed. I think well, that's kind of the way with the Almond Brothers. But there's Almond Brothers have almost a a slick they're smoother than this yeah and i think that comes from the fact that these guys were associated with zappa and zappa's nothing but unsmooth yeah Yeah. you know yeah um and and i think uh yeah i mean this is like a a step away from that in that it's more commercial sounding than zappa stuff and it's more tuneful but it definitely has that feel that kind of you know, um, we're not interested in being straightforward. We're right. trying, we're going around, you know, different avenues to get to where we want to get to. So, yeah, it's don't want no speedballs because I might die trying. That's not too far from what happened, uh, if, yeah. if I understand correctly. Yeah. Was that was that what he died of? Was it cocaine? Nobody says that, but uh, a heart attack brought on by, by cocaine. He was on tour, right, for a solo album when he, he passed on stage. He yeah. got a he got a little overweight. Yeah, three hundred and eight pounds. Oh, little uh, jeez! Not that he's the particular fat man in the bathtub that is referenced in this song, but um, oh, I always thought it was Taft. Taft. <laughs> Get the, his big uh, toe stuck in the, the line. Uh, the line about speedballs. I might not try. And it's always struck me, considering that. Well, um, I, I, you know, again, not to get too into the subject matter because we're trying to stay clean. But it's it's obvious to me this guy's uh, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. It's like, what do I? I I'm not do made I spend of money. My mind, do I'm I spend my money yeah. on uh, <laughs> this temporary uh, friendship with this young lady? Or do I yeah. spend my money on these um, chemicals that might make me feel good temporarily? And, 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 it's, and it seems to me like he's trying to make the argument because she's not interested. If you say no, the only option I have is the speedball. Yeah, I might die trying. <laughs> right. So the, uh, and there's, there's questions about why she says no. Is she with another person? Is yeah. there a current condition she has that makes that an unattractive option? Um, I think the summary of this song should probably be one of the reasons we covered this album is to provide our listeners with an example of what to avoid behaviors that we don't approve of. Yes. While we did speak highly about the um, negative aspects of bogarting, uh <laughs> Well, this is not behavior we approve of. Yeah. No. You shouldn't oh. bogart unless you're in one of those states. All righty. So next song up is Juliet. It's the last uh, 
last one with a with any with vocals. vocals on it. This is the one with the flute on it, right? Yeah. This is, and, I, and I assume this is little George playing the flute. It would be really weird if he played the flute and got someone else to come in and do well, it. Well, that's one of the things about some of these older albums is they don't always list who's doing what on them, and it's up to kind of people's yeah, memories are as good as they used to be. Do some research. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if enough time it goes is. by, I would start saying, oh, yeah, I played the bass. Oh, yeah. yeah. I well, I wouldn't say bass. I would say <laughs> other <laughs> So Lowell George was a talented flautist. 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 Yes, yeah. Well, um, that's flute player if yeah. you're at Texas A&M. <laughs> anyway, I think this is a good song. Um, I do too. And his his voice shines again. Yeah. Uh, I just wish I, I I wish everybody would leave Juliet and Romeo alone. I don't know why. Everybody has to do it. It's that. compelling. It's the most one of the more compelling. No, I, I, I well, I what agree with you, you know? but it's I'm me. It's it's that it's that uh, it's that it's timeless. That story about two young love star-crossed lovers who whose parents don't like them. I mean, it's been regurgitated throughout literature. It's not even, it's, it's this this deal's not even close to that. Um, it would be so easy to just be something else. No, I got you. I got anyway. you. It's yeah. a good we song. We do talk. We do seem to talk about that 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 story a lot, though, on this podcast. Yeah, well, it yeah. came up in uh, Dire Straits. Dire Straits, Dire Straits which is rapidly uh, uh, moving up to the top. Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Jackson Brown, uh, every man is now our uh, number one downloaded podcast. And as a uh, a fan of that album, and not of the one that it surpassed. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't heard Jackson Brown, that is one of our better it is. It's a good early. It's a good early episode. It's, it's yeah. even better than the Hawaiian... Um, <laughs> <laughs> or the fornicating toads. <laughs> frogs, I'm sorry. Toads, uh, toads. It is toads, but J.M. called them I frogs. To, did you call them frogs? He did. J.M. Sorry. I've worked, I've worked so hard teaching the difference going between a, a toad and a frog was, to my was, wife. It's, I was going for alliteration. <laughs> All right, so um, then we went. We're now on the last song on the album, Lafayette Railroad. I think this is an odd choice to end the album on an instrumental. I don't. Um, I didn't say, realize. Well, I wouldn't was... have put it on the album. I, I would have said, "Let's wait another month till I have something else." Yeah, I, I, it's it's not that great. It's an odd. It's obviously a showcase for Lowell George and and Payne. I mean, they're the ones on this. It's like, hey, what can we put on here? His slide guitar is all over it. The keyboards are all over it. I went back to one of our older episodes. I think the Zombies one where Doug is talking about 
I forget what song it is that has the bongos on it. You said if there's ever a song that didn't need bongos on it, it's like, <laughs> I felt that way about this song. Um, it, I don't. Well, I, I think do they, not they, like the yeah, percussion they, on this song. It's it's it just seems out of place. I'll give you I, that. I, I think the whole thing seems unnecessary. It's just it's, a, it's an odd it choice. Screams, isn't it? it screams filler. It does. And, uh, on the nose, and you don't put filler, you don't close out your album with filler. And this album's so good, it's just time to say. Well, it would have been a 32-minute album had they not well, included it. Cover something. Yeah. You got Lil' George and all these musicians. Cover something. And, and they couldn't come up. up with another song. Do I mean, Willin' one more time. Yeah, put it on the third album. <laughs> make, it, make it the running gag that you do a different version of Willin' every album. Do we know Fine. how many units this thing sold? It went gold. It went gold eventually. But I think it took a long time. It took. I think it was after Lil' George died that it became gold. Well, so this album I came... I believe after Waiting for Columbus came out there. Yeah, uh, so this, this album came out, then Feet, is Feet Don't Fail Me Now the next one? And yeah. then was that God when was a hero? When did that. when and waiting for Columbus come out? I think came immediately. Seventy was it? No, because there's songs on. It's got mercenary territory and some other good. So songs. that was that was one of those albums similar to last episode when we were talking about Born to Run that made people go back before. and look at their old catalog. Yeah, yeah I mean, not on the same scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I got you. This this to me was an album. I, I I I know what Doug felt like when he was listening to Parallel Lines, which is uh, this is not something I would necessarily put on or listen to again. There are things about it I like. There are songs on it I like. Um, I might seek those out, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, and this is I I don't know if this is what makes what we do interesting or not. But this is the chasm between, you know, me and Doug. And I think you're somewhere probably in between, Jay. Yeah, probably exactly um, in between. Well, you know, and it would be horrible if Jay and I just sat here agreeing with each other and everything. And uh, also, we've, we've talked about songs or albums that I wouldn't have picked or considered seriously. And I've benefited from that. It's... Yeah. Um, well, I have it's too. Like, uh, it's like Facebook. You know how everybody on Facebook uh, defriends everyone who disagrees with right. them, and then they just get stupid because they only know their side of the story. And we, uh, we are an example of how you can communicate across the chasm of of disagreement. Mm-hmm. Yes, we just are we shining about, light. Just as long as we talk about JM every now and then. <laughs> okay. So after this, the speeds don't fail me now. Last record album came out in uh, 1975, and then Time Loves a Hero in 1977. Each one of these little George is diminishing his participation. Yeah. Waiting for Columbus is in 1978, and I think they peaked with that live album, which is remarkable. And then uh, down on the farm, after he's dead, they put that out. He has some good numbers on that. Yeah, he um, wrote some of the songs and did they did some posthumous yeah. outtakes. And and I, I like uh, I like down on the farm quite a bit, even though it's not well reviewed. Little Feet was a frequent uh, 
guest on Midnight Special, and there's some good videos. Uh, we, one, one, oh, yeah, uh, with uh, Bonnie Rayet and, and Amy Lou Harris. I, yeah, I don't think we can recommend digging up old Midnight Special shows enough because oh. they're really great. We are now going to do our uh, our rating of the albums, if you guys are ready for that. And what we do is we rate it on whether or not we find the album a good album, and then whether or not we would we like it or would listen to it again. Is that correct, Doug? Well, we're trying to distinguish between how good the album is and how much we like it. And, That's and very different. It is very different because you can really appreciate an album, and it's not something you would ever listen to. So, right. <laughs> All right, Jam. You, let's hear what your rating is. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. On its um, like musicianship and just whether or not it's a good album, I'm going to give it a three on my. Well, I listen to it again because my favorite album by Little Feet is Sailing Shoes. You sound a little butt hurt. And they're uh, mutually exclusive. They are. <laughs> okay, Doug, what's your rating? All right, my my rating regarding how much I like it is four point eight, and regarding how good of an album it is, I'm gonna say four point five, and that's that's just a couple of tunes that I think drag it down a little bit, but if it's not in your record collection and you have more than four hundred records, you got a serious problem. So I have more than four hundred records, and this is not in my record collection. Serious problem. Um, Serious. I would say that uh, if this is your cup of tea, if this is the kind of music you like, and also just the musicianship of it, I would give this a 4.5. Uh, as to whether or not this is something I would listen to, I'd give it a 1. This is not my very, type of music. How very sad for you. I think it's because it's American. <laughs> I will, I will honestly say that's a that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> we we talked about a fine American artist last episode that, and I love that album, and I love that artist, and you couldn't get more American than Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually Norwegian. Did you know that he's from Norway? It, it, that that name's. From I didn't know it. I don't uh, even believe there's such thing as Norway. So I did most of the heavy lifting on this since these guys couldn't be bothered. Uh, Doug, I understand you have a recommendation for us. Oh, I am so shy to even go into <laughs> it, but since it's needed at this time, uh, I'm going to recommend tonight a guy that uh, I never listened to, save for his debut album. He became extremely famous for his MTV video and his song, Simply Irresistible. Uh, he has a great voice, one of the one of the top blue-eyed soul guys in of all time. His debut album, Sneaking Sally Through the Alley, Great is title. absolutely amazing. And I'll bring it up tonight is when it came out, I kept thinking this guy ought to replace Lil George and Little Feet. Um, 
he he's he sounds like it. It it's perfect. I later found out that little George played on that album <laughs> and had quite a bit to do with it. Uh, it includes uh, little George's song "Sailing Shoes." The first three songs on that album go together perfectly. It's one of those. Uh, it's like a suite, and, the, and they put them all together, and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you may not like Robert uh, Palmer. And uh, it may not be your cup of tea, but this is something very different. If you like Little Feet at all, you'll love that album. It's quite evident that he heard Little Feet and just went crazy for them. Uh, this is his uh, first record by himself, and I highly recommend it. Sneaking Sally Through the Alley. I think it's 1974. So not Fantastic. for the kids. Um, this would involve themes that one would not want to share with one's child. Gotcha. Especially uh, a family-oriented podcast like ours. <clears throat> well, that wraps up tonight's episode of This is Vinyl Tap. We really appreciate you inviting us into your ears. Next week, we'll turn our attention to an album many believe is the first and still the best power pop album, 1972's number one record by Big Star. on Facebook and Instagram, and of course we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. You can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Please drop us a note, let us know how we're doing, and let us know what album you'd like for us to consider in an upcoming episode. Leave us a review or a star rating on the podcasting platform where you downloaded us. On behalf of our host Doug Cooper, our co-host Tony Slagle, and me, your always humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And if you'll be our Dixie Chicken, we'll be your Tennessee men. But there is one other thing that we have to discuss when we talk about Little Feet. For a long time, I've been thinking about, God, I love their album covers. And uh, the first Little Feet album does not look like any of the other ones. Uh, the artist, right. Neon Parks. It's a it's what a, a picture of a bar or a building or well, something. It's, it's a it's a fake uh, billboard like of a city, and they're okay. standing in front of it, and then. Um, anyway, uh, all the rest feature a very quirky picture from Neon Parks, and uh, they're they're my favorite album covers of all time. Really? And, uh, oh, I love them. I think they're so quirky and funny. Huh? Um, and then down on the farm, you got a, a you have a duck sitting by a pool, <laughs> putting on uh, her. Um, Putting on makeup um, <laughs> and with a tiger behind her, and if you look at Lil George, uh, his solo album it has that same tiger. Yeah. And we have repeating uh, things like jackalopes and uh, personified um, 
things like a personified piece of cake, a personified tomato. Well, it, they are they are iconic. Probably, I bet I bet you more people know those album covers than they know the music that's on the albums. I wouldn't be surprised wouldn't at be all. Surprised, yeah. Um, but but this guy, uh, this artist, eventually became famous as the Little Feet album cover guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I would encourage everyone to type in. Um, yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, Neon Parks, and I sent y'all a picture today of a picture that. called um, uh, "Midnight Train from Georgia" yeah. or to Georgia, which uh, had Aunt Jemima and her pancakes attacking Georgia. Yeah. So, <laughs> I uh, very imaginative.